Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to the first Sunday of August, and I'm grateful to be with you. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. This summer, we have been doing a short summer series called Follow Jesus. I've been so encouraged by the preaching of Reuben and Robert and Tyler, and I'm thankful for their ministry in the Word, and I'm going to finish off this short little summer series today. We've been doing selected passages in the Gospels, and let me give you a heads up where we're going the next couple weeks. Next week, our dear friend Gareth Franks and his wife Carrie will be with us from all the way from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Gareth and Carrie are originally from South Africa. They were sent out by Brackenhurst Baptist Church, the pastor Doug Van Meter that was with us a few weeks ago. His church sent Gareth and Carrie out years ago, about 20 years ago, to India to plant churches there, which they did successfully. And since that time, they have now moved from one very difficult part of the country or the world for ministry of the gospel to an even more difficult part, to the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi, uh, one of the central cities in the Middle East. And they are preaching the gospel there and ministering there. And Gareth will be with us to preach next Sunday, and that will be wonderful. Gareth is one of my favorite preachers in the world, and I can't wait to be with him and have him preach the word to us. And then the following week, we'll get back into our series in Hebrews, picking up, I think, where we left off around Hebrews chapter 6. But for now, let me read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. We're plopping down in the middle, selected passages from the gospel. The theme today is anxiety and the goodness of God. And I want to read the text, and then we'll dig into it. And after we look at this text, we're going to have a baptism. In fact, Caroline James is Praise God for Caroline and her work. We're going to baptize her younger sister this morning. Please do your best to pay attention to the reading of the word. This is the best part of the sermon today. The next few minutes are the best part of the sermon, the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus speaking here, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's holy, inspired word. Let me pray. Lord, as we look at this text, as we consider the words of Jesus and his calling to not be anxious, may you saturate our souls with truth from the word. May you help me help these people. May you be glorified. May we be transformed more into the image of Christ. And if there's any unbelievers in here this morning, I imagine there are, would you cause them to pass from death to life by trusting in Christ? And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the outline this morning. I want to give it to you up front, and we're just going to kind of hang everything on this outline. I want us to look at three aspects of anxiety. First, the fruit of anxiety. Secondly, the root of anxiety. And thirdly, the cure for anxiety. The fruit of anxiety, the root of anxiety, and the cure for anxiety. Now, before we start to unpack this, I, I want to make a distinction between legitimate fear, worry, and anxiety, and sinful anxiety. In one sense, God gives us this emotion of anxiety for our good. I mean, we, we should be afraid to some degree of, of heights, you know, don't get too close to the edge, or we should realize that some things are dangerous. Or if you're a parent and you have a sense that you want to protect your child from danger and you're concerned about that, that's a, a, what I would, we would classify as a godly concern, a legitimate, a righteous concern. It's just part of stewardship of life. But what's in view here is when that care starts to overtake us and it tips over into a preoccupation that dominates our life. And we are we're sinfully making that situation or that circumstance or the unknown future something that we, we, we obsess over and it becomes diminishing. So the first thing I want us to do is look at the fruit of anxiety, and we see pieces of this. This won't be so much an exposition verse by verse of this text, which is usually our custom, but broadly looking at this category of the fruit of anxiety that Jesus hints at here in this passage in these 10 verses. We see that anxiety shrinks our hearts. It shrivels us. It, it saps us of our spiritual energy. It's like, it's like carrying a you infantrymen and, and some of you tankers that occasionally actually have to wear a ruck, I know that's once or twice every year, but it's like wearing an 80-pound ruck all the time, and it's just always on you, and it just weighs you down. It's, it's, like, a, it's like an 800-pound gorilla that is always on your back. It saps you of your strength. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor from London in the mid-1800s, if you've been around Crosspoint for a while, you know I love him. I admire his ministry. He said this in a sermon on anxiety from Philippians chapter 4. Spurgeon says that the evil habit of anxiety gets dominion over life till life is not worth living by reason of the care that we have about it. To be set free from its cold chains, a Christian must see anxiety as an evil and as a life-dominating sin. Instead of bringing peace, anxiety produces chaos, 
desperation and despair. And I, and I want, as we think about the fruit of anxiety here at the beginning of this message, I want you to classify it in that way. I want, unless we see anxiety as an evil and life-dominating sin, we will, we will never really fight it with the, with the gospel of grace that Jesus will call us to here at the end. Anxiety, the fruit of anxiety, weighs us down, and it's, it's subtle. This is the thing about anxiety, is it masquerades as a kind of legitimate concern. It's subtle, and it becomes a, a subconscious emotional habit. It's, it's like the old experiment of Pavlov's dogs, you know, to ring the bell and the dog would salivate. And, and that's what happens for our hearts and our emotions is, is we get so used to being anxious. We get so used to being that, the, the path that our heart goes down that we're almost subconsciously unaware of our habit of anxiety and worry. It becomes a kind of reflex and it tricks us, it deceives us, it masquerades itself as productivity because we're burning emotional energy and we think we're doing something, but we can't do anything. Here's the futility. Here's the lie of anxiety. We can't do anything about the very thing that we're obsessing about. In fact, Jesus says this in verse 27. He, he asks us this rhetorical question. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. It's futile. Anxiety is a fool's errand. And we obsess over things that we cannot change. And what's even worse than the spiritual energy that it saps us of, so the very thing that we are trying to affect, as we worry about it, we're being sapped of the very spiritual energy that we need to actually Obey God in some fruitful way. What's even worse about the emotional shrinking and shriveling of our hearts is that it turns us actually momentarily into false worshipers of a false God. Anxiety, when we give into it, becomes a kind of false worship where we worship the thing that we're fretting over, and now the most powerful thing in our universe is that thing that we're obsessing about, and the moment, the circumstance becomes huge, and God becomes distant and small. And that thing, that thing that we spend all that time feeling productive, deceiving ourselves in our heart, thinking that we can actually do something by worrying, becomes, becomes our functional God, lowercase g. It dominates us. And it demands our obsession, and it never lets up. And finally, and I found this to be true in my own heart, finally, the bad fruit of anxiety, it gets even worse because it's like a, we're going back to school, it's like a kindergarten class in the first week of school. It's like a Petri dish for bad germs. It just multiplies. Some kid comes with a cough, and before you know it, all 30 kids have coughs within a minute. And that's what anxiety does. It breeds in the darkness of our hearts. It breeds more anxiety. What do I mean? What I mean is, is that anxiety, or the demon over anxiety, is wise. He's been fighting this battle a lot longer than we've been resisting it. And anxiety will occasionally let you look up at times. It will occasionally give you a peek above the clouds. 
It will occasionally clear the haze that anxiety has produced in your life. And it will show you how fruitless anxiety has been. And then what happens is because we're so weak, when we realize all that we've wasted by being anxious, we get anxious about the fact that we've wasted this time and energy being anxious. So anxiety breeds more anxiety. It's like a a vicious cycle that puts us under the water and just drags us down to the bottom of the emotional sea. And when we're in that place, aren't you glad you came to church this morning, by the way? You're like, Brad, this is wonderful. Thank you for this. But when we're in that place, that is a place, it's a place of extreme spiritual vulnerability. Because your strength, your energy, your joy in the gospel, your optimism about the future, your confidence in the things of the Lord and in what he has done for you are sapped away. And so at the bottom of that emotional sea, anxiety becomes a breeding ground for all sorts of counterfeit escapes that then only lead to what? More anxiety. That's the fruit of anxiety. But this is just the fruit. What's underneath all of this? So the second aspect here is the root of anxiety. And Jesus tells us what the root of anxiety is. He, 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 he points us to the futility. He says, what, what, who of you by, by, by being worried can add one hour to your life? But, but it's even more deep than that. There's a root. And Jesus gives us what might seem. He puts his finger on the root, and it might seem to our modern therapeutic ears as an unexpected answer. But what does Jesus look at? Verse 30, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, verse 30, what does Jesus say? He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then what does he say? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus actually chastens us for our lack of faith. He doesn't just kind of put his arm around the, the audience there. He, he, he puts his finger on it. He says, no, actually, the problem is, is that it's a, a lack of faith. There's something deeper. There's a root that is giving way to the fruit of anxiety, and it is functionally putting more faith in this moment and in this thing rather than God. Now, let's, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's zoom out. Jesus is the most tender of counselors. In one sense... We need to know that Jesus is the most gracious of all. There's these beautiful verses about how Jesus will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering ember. Jesus knows how to be tender with our souls. So don't read that if you feel like you're racked with anxiety. I I don't want you to read verse 30 or hear Jesus say, oh, you have little faith and and feel in a sense like you're, you're beyond the reach or you're being in some sense scolded by Jesus. This is for our good. He always knows what's best for our souls. And in this moment where he is 
calling us away from anxiety. He knows that the best thing for our souls is not for him to merely put his arm around us at the bottom of that anxiety pool, but to snap us out of it and to say, your problem is, is that your faith is misplaced. It's in this thing rather than me. So you have little faith. Look away from yourself and look to God, is what Jesus is saying. Now this is something that I think briefly before we end with the cure for anxiety, which is the heart of what Jesus says here, this is something that I think we need to, I think every, every stream of the Christian church has its strengths and weaknesses. And we're in a particular theological stream at this church, if you're not aware of it. Some people might call it reformed. We, are, we, we believe in the historic principles of the Protestant Reformation, which puts a real high emphasis, I think rightly so, a real high emphasis on the sovereignty of God in all things and the providence of God. And it puts a very high emphasis on the, the saving work of Christ, the initiative in salvation, and that we're not so much saved by our own strength or our own works, which we're not, but we're saved by the strength of the object of our faith. And so we talk a lot about how even the, the weak, the faith of, of a small little mustard seed, that, that would, when God works in our hearts, when he makes us alive, he saves us not according to our strength, not according to our works, but according to the strength of the object of our faith, which is Christ and his finished work. Yes and amen. But there can be a kind of corresponding then Lack of emphasis in this particular theological stream, stream, which might tend to underemphasize the emphasis that the Bible puts on faith. So as, as glorious as we want to herald the truths of the sovereignty of God and the strength of Jesus as the determining factor in all things and in our salvation, that's not to neglect the biblical infidence, emphasis on our responsibility to build up our faith. Yes, let's put a, an emphasis on God's action, but let's not forget the passages that say that we should fan into flame, that we should press on toward the upward call of Christ. Let's not revel in weak faith and just be people that don't hear what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to Christians who have let their faith diminish, who are at the bottom of this anxiety sea, he's saying to us, where's your faith? Stir up the gift of God that's in you. Which brings us to this final part, the cure for anxiety. The cure for anxiety. Let's read verses 33 and 34. What does Jesus say? I want, this is really informative. Because I think in our culture, we are addicted to steps and pragmatism and standard operating procedures. We want three steps on how to do this. And look how Jesus handles this problem of anxiety. Verse 25 through 32, he's, he's, he's been laying some breadcrumbs for us. He's been describing the problem of anxiety, the fruit of anxiety, the fruit that it bears in our life, this worry that can't actually do anything. He chastens us for our little faith. But along the way, he's He's warning us to, he's laying some breadcrumbs for the answer that we're going to read here in verse 33. And the breadcrumbs are to get your eyes off of yourself. See, anxiety shrinks us. It, 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 
it siphons down our perspective to where we're just looking through a little pinhole, and the only thing we can see is that situation, that circumstance, that thing that we fear. And Jesus, in verse 26, is he's, he's wanting to broaden our horizons. He's, he's dropping some breadcrumbs that he will eventually get to in verse 33, and he says, look at the birds of the air. Look up. Look up. There's a whole world that God has created, and, and even the birds are flying, and God is providing for them in his way. And then he says, don't just look at the birds of the air, but look at the grass, the lilies of the field. They're so beautiful. God closed this thing, and it's just here today, and it's gone tomorrow, and yet God is intricately involved in that. Look up. Look away from your situation. But then finally, in verse 33, he zeroes in, and he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, what does that mean? Notice Jesus, just he, just he just gives us this exhortation. He gives us this posture rather than seeking to control our circumstances, seeking to control our spouse or our child or our future. I mean, let me say something about you young parents. I was thinking about ways that we're anxious. Um, you know, there's a lot of young parents in this church, and I, we know what it's like to be uh, fearful about your three or four or five-year-old and getting sick or falling down or getting into the right school or, you know, learning how to read or whatever. In fact, I had this strange fear. I've told you this before. This might scare you. You might think, well, Brad's really messed up. Well, welcome to Crosspoint I am. But when we were young parents, when our first child was about to be born, I, I was overtaken with this fear. How did children learn English? Like, how, how did, I, I remember it was strange. I, my wife, I shared it with her, and she looked at me like I was from Jupiter. Like, what planet are you from? But I can remember thinking, like, what if, what if, what if I don't have the right ways of, like, talking so that my kid grows up never able to speak? And, and my point is, is that, as a young parent, you can be gripped with fear, but let me tell you, wait till they become teenagers and young adults. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just saying, suck it up, buttercup. It's going to get harder. <laughs> it's going to get harder. But there's very real, there's very real fears that we face, aren't there? There can be a, a diagnosis, a cancer marker, a blood test, a marriage that seems to be teetering on the edge, an uncertain future. And what is Jesus? See, Jesus is taking something very practical here, clothing and food. You see, this isn't just meant for, to, to just pertain to that. This is, this is the Holy Spirit taking this practical example of life through the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's meant to be applied to all of God's people through all of the ages. And Jesus is not giving us a three-step process. If you just do these three things, because you know what that does? All that, that little list, that checklist, that just feeds our anxiety more. Then it just sends me back into myself. If there's just a couple things I can do, then I'll do them, and I'll sit around and wait for everything to be okay. But that's not the way Jesus takes us. He takes us 
above that to-do list. He takes us above our ability to change the future. And he says, listen, change your posture. Seek, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you see that? It's a posture change. And I realize as Americans, we want something to do. And the first step maybe in detoxing from anxiety is to let go of our control freak nature and just imbibe the culture of verse 33, the calling of verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does that mean? I think it means to radically change your posture and to practically reorient your hope and your expectations through repentance and confession. Lord, I, I've been obsessing over this thing, and here I am now, and you're putting your finger on it this Sunday morning. I'm here for a reason. Or, Lord, I don't need a to-do list. Maybe there's practical things to do. I'm not diminishing that. I'm not saying that life is not practical. But right now in this moment, what I need more than a to-do list is a new posture. Lord, I turn away from trusting in myself, and I turn towards you in trusting you. I'm seeking you, and I am remembering the goodness of God in my life. So I think at the very heart of verse 33, seeking first the kingdom of God, the first step in that is remembering the goodness of God, remembering the gospel. The first step, step in seeking is remembering. So what has God done with my sin? What has he said about my future? What answer does the gospel give to my anxiety. Well, this is how Christians some 500 years ago in Heidelberg, Germany, after the Protestant Reformation, answered that question. This is the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer number one. We have this actually on a little sign in the, in the, in the foyer there, right on the wall as you're walking out of the church by the couches. I'd recommend you look at that and read it occasionally. Question number one of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is so beautiful. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer, listen to this. This is the gospel's answer to the anxiety of our souls. The answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Boy, isn't that where a lot of anxiety comes from? Anxiety comes from the devil accusing us, and he's, no, he's set me free from that. Listen to this. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. And doesn't anxiety make you forget that? It makes you think that the future is uncertain and that God is not in control. But this confession, based on Scripture, negates that. Nothing can happen to me apart from the will of God in heaven. In fact, not only is he in charge of all things, in fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit. He assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. 
Now that would be a wonderful thing to just write on your mirror or on a sticky note or write in the flyleaf of your Bible and just go to often. Seek first. Remember the gospel. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Notice what this confession is saying based on scripture, which I think is right in line with what Jesus is saying. In light of the thing that you're most worried about, Take it to the foot of the cross and remember what Jesus has done and let that mountain of anxiety melt before the promises of the gospel in Christ. So here is this thing that I'm worried about. It's reduced my world down to this tiny little pinhole of vision that I can see. It's the only thing that seems to be in front of me. I bring it to cross. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God first? It means to bring this thing before and say, Lord, I have let this thing become my functional God. I'm bringing it to you right now. And let let me remember the good news of the gospel is that my biggest need, my biggest concern, the thing that I should be most anxious about, which is your holiness and your wrath against my sin has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. Jesus has bore the wrath of God on the cross. Now the thing, the only thing that I really truly need to fear, which is separation from you forever, has been satisfied. It's been taken care of. It's been removed by Jesus. And I've been reconciled that I'm yours and you are mine. And now, not only that, not only have you forgiven my sin, but you have promised, you've promised, even though you've left me here, to bring me all the way home in everything that I face, every anxiety, every fear, every situation, no matter high, how, how high or low, will some way work together towards me coming all the way home to making it all the way to you. And I bring that to Jesus, and I say, now, my anxieties in light of that, what can man do to me? So let me end. Not with a three-step process on things that we need to do, but with some scriptures to rest in and stand on and remind ourselves of and fight from as we battle anxiety. Listen to these words, and then we'll baptize this dear young lady in our church. Let these bathe over your soul if you are fearful, if you're anxious. Isaiah 41.10. And I realize in some sense, all of these verses have a specific context. But I believe in some way or another, they all apply to all of God's people. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23.4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus speaking, Matthew 10, 28-31, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, 
Oh, I've held on to this verse for years and years and years. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Hebrews 13, 6, so we can confidently say, this is quoting Psalm 18, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And then this last one from this obscure, uh, relatively unknown verse called Romans chapter 8. Come on now. Verse 31. What, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, listen to this, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if that scripture is true, what do we have to fear? Let me pray. Lord, um, I'm sure that there are people in this sanctuary today that are gripped with fear and anxiety in a sinful sense. Certainly at times, myself included. Lift up our eyes. Lord, I pray. May we see the wretched fruit of our false worship and anxiety. May we recognize the root and may we attack it with the gospel, the promises of the gospel. If you are for us, who can be against us? You, you will bring us 
all the way home. So what have we to fear? Lord, as we meditate on this and as we sing and as we see our sister be baptized, may we revel in the promises of the gospel in Christ Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.